Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to discipleship and putting scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the Communications Director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of approximately 1,000 churches in Kansas and Nebraska. As the title of this podcast suggests, I'm not ordained clergy, so what I share comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 20 years of experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teens to 90-somethings, and I'm excited to share what Scripture has to say to us in today's society, and I love to tell stories of how people live their faith. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes include interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. And other episodes include some short reflections on Scripture. Thank you for joining me. One of the things I most admire about Jesus' earthly ministry is how he dared to talk about the issues of his day. His teachings about the love for all people and service to others, especially the poor and the sick, resonated with the people in his audience. The way Jesus dared to speak truth to power brokers within the Jewish leadership and even the Roman government showed his compassion for the average person, and it made his message relevant to the masses. Somehow we've lost that over the years. There's even a common saying that we shouldn't talk about politics and religion at dinner parties, back when we could have dinner parties, because those two things so often overlap and can cause division among people. And yet, the Savior we worship didn't hesitate to talk about topics pertinent to his day and to the people to whom he was taking his message. Today, we live in a country divided between red states and blue states. And indeed, some congregations are sometimes red and sometimes blue. But more often than not, They're really not either of those colors, are they? They're really just a shade of purple. A cross between red and blue that reflects our society blended by so many different life experiences, frames of references, and philosophical beliefs. It is into that environment that the Reverend Dr. Leah Shade, Assistant Professor of Preaching and Worship at Lexington Theological Seminary in Kentucky, wrote the book, Preaching in the Purple Zone, Ministry in the Red-Blue Divide. Reverend Dr. Shade is ordained in the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America and she spent a couple of days with our Great Plains Conference clergy back in January and February teaching the principles from her book. Preaching in the Purple Zone lays out a strategy for pastors to dig into topics relevant to their communities. The environment, workplace issues, community policing, healthcare, the national opioid crisis, end-of-life issues, those are just a few of the topics. I asked Leah to join me for a discussion via Zoom to explain why this way of preaching is so important at this point in time. I wanted her to describe for laity what her process, which heavily leans on laity for input, really is, and then share some of the research that has guided her along the way. My goal here is to help laity understand what their pastors have been exposed to through their training with Reverend Dr. Shade. I hope you'll enjoy my interview with her. Here's our discussion. So, Leah, I think everybody will know what we're talking about, but I want to be certain. Uh, So can you explain for us what exactly is the Purple Zone and why is it significant for churches today? Absolutely. Thanks, Todd. That's a great question. In our political climate, we are seeing basically a, a, a bifurcation of politics, the red and the blue. And in congregations, pastors have to minister to everyone, no matter whether they are 
red state Christians or blue state Christians. So the purple zone is about finding that place where we can identify our common values, our shared values, and to be able to discern who we are as people of God and what God is calling us to do, how we are to respond to the issues that are affecting our communities and our lives and our nation in a way that is faithful and is aligning with who Christ calls us to be. Yeah, we, we live in a definitely a purple world right now, at least a purple country, as we saw in the last election. Absolutely. Um, in your in your work, you've been doing a lot of research. I mean, you didn't just dream this up uh, or just make an observation. You've actually been doing empirical research on it. Can you tell us a little bit about what that work has been like in the past and what you're continuing to work on? Yes, when I was starting to work on these issues, it actually grew out of the first book that I wrote, Creation Crisis Preaching, where I wanted to help pastors be able to preach about creation care issues. And I found that a lot of pastors were hesitant because the issue has become so politicized. So what I wanted to do is to take a step back and say, how can we help pastors talk about any issues of public concern? And I wanted to get a sense of what's the landscape like out there for pastors? <clears throat> so what I did was I sent out a survey to mainline Protestant pastors to ask them what it's like for them to preach about social issues in the, at the time, the current climate, which was very divisive. Now, this was in 2017, the, the very first part of 2017. So this was right after the presidential election and during the inauguration process. And I was able to get responses from 1,200 mainline Protestant clergy, which was a great data set. Since then, I've, also, I've now launched the second wave of this longitudinal study. And we're just starting to close it out now. And we have more than 2,600 responses this time which has been fantastic. So now it, we've expanded not just to mainline Protestant clergy, this is for all clergy, lay preachers, seminarians, retired clergy, anybody who's preaching about, um, you know, preaching in their congregations so that we can get a sense of how are things different now than they were four years ago? And what are, the, what, what are we seeing trending with pastors in the months to come? One of the things in your book that I really found interesting was, and it's something that you helped model for us and the bishop helped model for us uh, during the latest orders and fellowship gathering that we had for our clergy, is, is the sermon dialogue sermon method. Uh, and it's not something you would do every time, uh, but, it's, but it, is a, it should be one of the toolbox items, right, for, for, for a pastor at a church. Could you tell us a little bit about what that, what the goal behind the method is first, and then we'll go into some definitions of each one of those pieces? Sure. The idea is that we don't do a single sermon about a social issue and then just let it at that. What I found in my research is that pastors are very concerned about 
not using the pulpit to seem like they're being quote unquote political, but they want to be able to engage their congregations in meaningful ways to discern how they can respond to these issues. So I developed the sermon dialogue sermon method as a process for pastors and congregations to do this. So the you would preach the first sermon, which introduces a topic, invites people to a deliberative dialogue, and I'll talk about that in a minute. And then out of that deliberative dialogue, the pastor preaches a second follow-up sermon that draws on that deliberative dialogue. So this process of dialogue is bookended by sermons. So it's part of an entire process for the congregation. As I read your book, one of the things that I found most interesting or what resonated the most with me is this really is a way of making the local church as relevant as possible to the people in their community, because now you're talking about subjects that otherwise might be ignored out of fear of alienating one half of the congregation or another. Am I right in that? And if so, how have you seen that play out in churches that have already started using this method in your research? Exactly. What we found in the research is that pastors do get a significant amount of pushback when they preach about issues that are seen as too political, or maybe uh, some parishioners think that they're um, getting out of their lane, so to speak, or that they don't agree with what the pastor is saying, even if the pastor is preaching from the scripture. If it seems to be aligning with one political party or another, everybody is so reactive these days that there can be pushback and it comes in a variety of forms. Anything from angry letters to emails to um, bashing on social media to um, actually threatening to leave or withhold their offerings, all kinds of ways. And yet pastors know that they are called to talk about these issues that are affecting people's lives and their communities and their families. So how can they be faithful to the gospel, faithful to their call, and not alienate their congregations? And so this process was developed so that we can start to develop deep listening skills. This isn't about the pastor dictating one thing or another. This is about an invitation to a process where we learn how to listen and talk respectfully, to discern different approaches to an issue, discern our shared values, and then think about what steps might we take as a congregation in response to this issue. So you're ex exactly right. It, it is a very interactive process. It's not just the, uh, the, the pastor as Lone Ranger. This is the pastor as working with the congregation and seeing all of us as a discerning community of Christ together. I think it's a fair point to say and reiterate to everybody that it's not like Jesus shied away from politics. That's, <laughs> uh, he, he that's a really involved. good point. Yeah. Involved in the politics. So it's not that we're not supposed to talk about it. Maybe it's the way that we're supposed to talk about it. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is um, I, I sometimes talk about, People want the teddy bear Jesus. We want the warm, cuddly Jesus. But we often will overlook that Jesus was quite controversial, or otherwise he would not have been crucified. And he talked about all kinds of hot button political issues of his day. 
everything from uh, taxes to access to health care, you know, the woman touching his robe, uh, the man let down through the roof, um, all kinds of ways Jesus addressed issues of power, domination, economics, healing, forgiveness, all of these things he addressed in his ministry. So if we are to follow in his footsteps, we need to think about, okay, how does the Bible itself give permission and really authorize us to talk about these issues. Now, sometimes we may look at this and say, you know, this is descriptive about how conversation can happen, but maybe we don't want to do it this way. There are a lot of instances where conversation does not go well, um, but there are other times when it's prescriptive. You know, in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus is very, gives us a great process for if you disagree with somebody, you first of all talk to them one-on-one. If that doesn't work, you bring in a neutral third party. If that doesn't work, then you take it to the larger governing body and try to work it out that way. That's prescriptive. Um, but there are other times when we see in scripture where the conversation or the dialogue breaks down, but we can learn from that and say, what would we want to do differently? So let's walk everybody through the process uh, just so they have a better understanding of, of what this will look like. Yeah. So you start off with a sermon, uh, and you got into it a little bit earlier, but explain kind of what that first sermon is supposed to uh, exhibit for the folks who are sitting in the pews. Yeah. The first sermon is what I call the prophetic invitation to dialogue. And in this sermon, the pastor isn't necessarily taking a stand on an issue in one direction or another. It really is trying to raise awareness of the issue, rooting the issue in biblical and theological frameworks, and inviting people to the dialogue. So let's say, for example, a pastor does want to have a, a dialogue about uh, the climate crisis. So they would do their sermon and maybe they would uh, choose a, a biblical passage that's either in the lectionary or one that, that does address how human beings interact with creation. And, and, and use this to say, throughout the scripture, we see that human beings are charged with uh, tilling and keeping the garden. So for example, in, in Genesis chapter 2, 15. So making that case, but then to say, we have this huge problem of climate change. We're not sure how to address it, but we know this is something that the church needs to pay attention to. So I don't have all of the answers, but I'm really interested in the questions. And I would like to invite all of you to participate in this deliberative dialogue to help us discern where we, how we might respond faithfully as a church. So that would be the first sermon. And then there would be the deliberative dialogue. Now, deliberative dialogue is a form of civil discourse that was developed by the Kettering Foundation and the National Issues Forum Institute, where you bring people together from a diverse uh, constituency, different ages, different political orientations, different races, ethnicities, different sexual orientations, all kinds of diversity is, is welcome. And you have a, 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 an issue guide that is nonpartisan and gives you three different approaches to the issue. So with climate choices, you, the three options are to reduce our, climate, our carbon footprint. The second one is to prepare and, prepare and protect communities for, uh, for the climate change. And the third is to um, uh, develop new technologies. Now, these aren't competing. We're just looking at 
if we were to approach it in this way, what would be pros and cons? So you have this issue guide and you start out by, of course, establishing ground rules for how we have respectful conversation with each other. And then we would ask, how is this issue affecting you, your family or your community? So we really start with personal narrative. And this is important because we want to be able to see the humanity of the people that we might be disagreeing with on policy, but to recognize that they are children of God, just like we are. And then you take equal time with each of the three approaches to examine them. So we are developing our critical thinking skills. And then we, um, we think about what are the, what, where's the common ground here? What are the biblical values that we see that we have in common that transcend our political orientations? And then the final step of the dialogue is to say, okay, where might we go from here? Do we want to have a panel discussion? Do we want to do advocacy with our local legislators? Do we want to develop a, a, a climate crisis plan? I mean, there's all kinds of things. It's very organic according to the context. And then the follow-up sermon is what I call the communal prophetic proclamation. And in this sermon, the pastor draws on the discernment of the people who took part in the dialogue to say, here's what we talked about. Here's how the Spirit guided us in this conversation. And here's where God might be leading us as we go forward addressing this issue in the future. So it's really seeing this as a again, communal, that the whole group, prophetic, answering God's call, proclamation in the sermon. So the first sermon kind of lays it out. Here's a topic. Uh, here are the different sides of this topic. It's really kind of an educational type of approach. Absolutely. Uh, the dialogue is, is, I want to focus on that for just a few moments, because this is where lady can really get involved. Yes. Um, what's the importance of participation in that kind of approach? Uh, and people being willing, what kind of, I guess what, I, what I'm asking is what kind of mindset should someone bring to such a meeting when they're going to have that kind of discussion? Yeah, that's a great question, Todd. One of the things that we emphasize in a deliberative dialogue is that we have ground rules for how we're going to talk and listen to each other. And when, uh, when we start out in the dialogue, we agree to that. We begin with prayer and um, we, we want people to come with an attitude of, I'm curious, I'm wondering what other people think, not coming there to say, my way or the highway, or this is the only way to think about this. What we want to recognize is that even if we disagree with where a person is coming from in terms of their approach to a policy, we can maybe discern that, okay, our common value here is that we value families or we value clean water, or we value um, protecting children. Whatever that is, we're going to try to discern that so then we can move forward with how we want to respond given our different um, values. So what we want to, what, what I hope people will do if they participate in the deliberative dialogue is to come with a spirit of openness and to recognize that in the dialogue, this isn't about pushing your agenda. This is about being clear about how an issue affects you, your experiences, and to listen deeply to what other people are saying so that we can find a way for the body of Christ to talk in a healthy way 
about issues of public concern so that we're not fighting and hurting each other or just avoiding an issue that really needs to be talked about, but we're ignoring it because we're worried about the fallout. What we found is that the congregations, and, and I've trained over 100 pastors and laity in this process. What we found is that people have usually have a very positive experience and they get through and they're like, oh, well, this wasn't so bad. Actually, this was, this was pretty interesting. And are there other topics we could talk about? And so oftentimes the, they'll go to the pastor and say, all right, what, what else you got? What else, you know, let's, let's talk about safety and justice, or let's talk about the opioid crisis. I mean, there's, there's like 60 issue guides in the National Issues Forum Institute to choose from. So this time of dialogue is really more about, I mean, you are sharing your thoughts, but it's also more about learning and less about swaying. Right. Right. We are not, this is not a debate. This is not a panel discussion. This is people actively analyzing the, the, the benefits and the drawbacks of different approaches. So for example, if a, going back to the climate choices guide, when we look at the option one, which is reduce our carbon output. Well, what are some good things that would come out of that? Well, we would clean the air we would lessen the burden on our on our environment we would be able to more fairly think about how we can distribute energy among um, among our community on the downside there's cost involved with this it also takes a long time to try to adapt new technologies and sometimes technologies are not always available uh, especially for poorer communities and unfortunately for communities of color. So, you know, we weigh the pros and cons of this. But the idea is that even if you really like an approach, you're challenged to say, what could be some of the drawbacks to this? And even if you don't like an approach to say, well, what might be some positive things that can come out of it, even if you don't really like this particular avenue? And in this way, we really develop those critical thinking skills and start to emerge beyond our echo chambers, beyond our bubbles, uh, either, you know, Fox News or MSNBC, you know, to, to really listen and, and discern and talk together and, and listen to the wisdom that the spirit is showing us. And so we get to that, that third, the, the second sermon, the third piece of the, of the puzzle here. I want to kind of approach it from the standpoint of the pastor and the standpoint of the person who's took, who took part in that dialogue, but now is in the pew listening to that sermon. Uh, we'll start with the pastor. What kind of mindset does the pastor have to have coming out of that dialogue as they're writing that second sermon? What are best practices? Right. In terms of best practices for the pastor and again, the congregation for, this, for the follow-up sermon, the pastor, again, is not pushing their agenda. They are fairly and honestly and forthrightly reflecting what the dialogue was about. And again, modeling here were the different perspectives. Now, the, this doesn't mean that the pastor can't say, um, I don't, you know, uh, scripture shows us that these values are things that we need to emphasize. So you're still bringing that prophetic voice to this. But we're not, what we're not doing is saying, you know, 
that this perspective, um, you know, just isn't valid. You know, we're not doing that. We are trying to be as respectful as possible. Because if you're one of the people who are in the pew and you're listening to this, you want to be able to say, wow, th yeah, that's exactly what we talked about. And it's really cool to hear that what I said in this was actually incorporated into the sermon. So it's not just the pastor alone in their study, but this really becomes a co-creative proclamation where the, the, the whole community has a chance to have input on how, what we preach and what we say. This doesn't mean, again, it's all just gonna be a number one hunky-dory. There are definitely tensions, but the idea is that the, the pastor um, who can either moderate the, the deliberative dialogue or they can be the recorder and let somebody else who is trained to do the moderation, let them do to do that. The pastor themselves have been able to listen. I mean, you're going to get interaction in a deliberative dialogue that you just don't get on a Sunday after church over punch and cookies. You get more in depth on these issues and really learn what's important to people. And that way, when um, we're going both broader and deeper with our discernment as a community of faith. And now from the standpoint of the person in the pew, what should they, what's the realistic expectation of that person that shows up to hear that second sermon? We live in a world, let's just be honest, where right now people are, well, they better, that pastor better, better take my stance on this uh, or else I'm, you know, or else I'm leaving or whatever, you know, we, we have, we jump to those types of us versus them scenarios. So what should the mindset be of the person coming into the sit down and, and to hear that second sermon uh, if they've taken part in that dialogue process? What we're hoping is that people will have had such a, an, an experience in the deliberative dialogue that they will continue the spirit of deep listening and discernment and to say, okay, did, did the pastor fairly represent what we talked about? Great. And, you know, do we have to agree on everything? No, but there are boundaries for what is acceptable and what's not, you know, where it's not okay to, uh, to bash people. It's not okay to spew conspiracy theories and say that these are the facts. Um, you know, we're, we're going to really honor the, the commandment to not to bear false witness. And we're going to be true and honest about what we see and what we hear. And we want to be able to say, okay, this shows me as a, as a parishioner that we can move beyond fight or flight when it comes to these difficult issues. We want to move into the prefrontal cortex, so to speak, of the human brain that allows us to get beyond just the, you know, the wanting to escape or really engaging in harmful conflict and, and to be able to engage each other using that, that higher part of our brain to say, okay, what is the, what is the best way forward? What are the trade-offs that we're willing to accept? And what are the things that are really important to us that we want to make sure the entire community is being incorporated into? So how can we fairly and justly talk about this and move forward so that all God's people and God's planet can be respected? So after we've gone through the second sermon, it doesn't mean that this subject is dead to that congregation, right? It's not like, okay, we've done that. We're going to file that one away and then we're not going to come back to it again. Uh, 
what, what are ways that other that churches would come back to those types of subjects later on? Well, what happens in the deliberative dialogue is in the in the last part you do what's called next steps. And everybody brainstorms like, well, what what could we do? So for example, in the book, I talk about a, a church that did their deliberative dialogue on immigration issues. And uh, actually there were a number of churches because that was the, the really hot topic back then when I was writing the book. And I had a number of students and pastors that, that did that. And so there were some churches that decided, okay, well, we, we nest uh, a, a congregation that is uh, Spanish speaking. But, you know, we've never put signs in Spanish around our church so that the, we can be more hospitable. Let's do that. Um, and the the congregation that uh, was Spanish speaking said, we would like to invite all of you to come to our Three Kings celebration in uh, in January. And, and so it's very organic. There are all kinds of things that come out of this. One congregation that I that that one of the pastors worked with started. Um, they wanted to do more to address hunger issues in in the community, so they started partnering. Well, they they started a a, a food justice group. And then they started partnering with local organizations that already knew the issues so that they could be supportive. Um, another one, another congregation hosted an art show um, highlighting art that has been done by uh, people who are being held in immigration detention centers. And that was part of their Christian witness to say, here's what here's what's happening and we want to be able to show this to the community. So it can come up in all kinds of ways. Some people, um, you know, start a, a letter writing campaign. Some people um, want to follow up with more education or do a book study. It really is what, what the community discerns is best for them. Well, then you can even take, like if you have a broad topic to start with, you could take a segment of that and go through the same process again, really honing in on this subtopic of the, of the larger subject, right? Right. So you could, let's say, so we'll go back to the climate change and let's say, all right, um, one of the, one of the questions usually people ask is at the end, well, who wasn't represented in this conversation? Um, did we maybe not have any young people here? Did we maybe not have any black, indigenous, or people of color here? What might their perspectives be? So maybe we want to do this dialogue again and invite people from the community to be a part of this. Maybe we would want to partner with a nearby church and do this. So we could continue that conversation and, and expand our circle so that we can listen to others. Or we may say, you know, we don't really know a lot about immigration law. Maybe we want to bring in a speaker that can help us think about what actually is the process for somebody who wants to come into our country and how might our church assist in those assist those who are trying to go through that process or maybe um, they've done the issue guide on mental health and um, maybe they want to bring in um, a speaker who talks about what are the issues that people are facing in certain age groups and how might our church be helpful in that. So again, it's it's a matter of listening to what's going on in the lives and the communities of the people in the congregation and then being able to respond to that in a, in a nimble and just way. So we have some of our Great Plains clergy uh, taking part in further training. 
Uh, some already have done this because you needed examples and, and people that have worked with you at Orders and Fellowship, but we have even more that are going through this training right now. What is the goal behind having some of our pastors learning more about the sermon dialogue sermon approach? We are, so I began by training a cohort of 10 clergy in the sermon dialogue sermon process, and they carried it out in their congregations. And we wanted to give them experience with this so that they could see, okay, here's how it works. And then I'm training them to become trainers of their fellow clergy because there's only one of me and there are like hundreds of clergy in the Great Plains Conference. So we thought, okay, I'll train them to be able to train other pastors in this sermon dialogue sermon process so that it can be, you know, it can fan out and, and be done in different districts or maybe among your networks so that we can start to create a culture that is transformed to one that is truly building up the body of Christ. The way I sometimes, the metaphor that I'll sometimes use is um, thinking about the, when we think about the body of Christ and we think about how we need to have um, leukocytes, the white blood cells in, in the body to protect against the toxins and the poisons. And when enough people are trained in how to respectfully and healthily engage in <clears throat> dialogue around these issues, it can neutralize the toxins that are coming in from our culture and our society and social media to be able to say, there's another way that we can do this. We can talk about this in a way that is welcoming, respectful, and following the values and the teachings of, of our faith. And so what we're trying to do is to help the conference to become more reflecting of the gospel of Jesus Christ, becoming the realm of God. This is all part of that, being able to enact this in a very tangible way in our congregations and in the conference. Thank you very much for uh, your research and for the work that you've been doing. Uh, I will give you one chance for a parting, some parting words for the laity uh, who, uh, just so everybody out there knows, so, so Leah spent the better part of two days with our clergy uh, on Zoom. So that enough gets you a gold star to, <laughs> for that long and everybody that participated through that. But so you had a, a, a series of, of presentations. They had small group discussions uh, over the course of two days. So laity are going to get about 30 minutes uh, of your time here. So uh, what are some parting words for them that you'd like for them to know to, that you want to emphasize to them as we as we prepare to wrap up here? Yeah. One of the things that we found is in our, in our research with the Kettering Institute is that not everybody is open to dialogue. And I, and I want to speak to those who might be hesitant to say, I'm not sure about this. They might be, be, might be a little suspicious of it. There might be some people who think that this is all uh, part of a scheme to maybe sway people politically. And I, and I did a Wabash grant last year where we actually trained lay people and pastors in this process. And we had um, some people who were more conservative and, and were a little suspicious of the process coming in. But we assured them, look, just give it a try and see how you feel after it's done. 
And once we came through and they were like, oh, so you're not trying to convert us into green tree hugging liberals? Great. Okay. You actually listened to me. This is, this is wonderful. And they became the biggest champions in their congregations for this process. So I would say approach it with an open mind if you're if you're worried about if there's a, some kind of hidden agenda there's no hidden agenda here there's not this is not about starting a new program this is not about um imposing the 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 uh, a, a new way of thinking on people other than to really turn us towards each other in christian love there are also some people who have been hurt by dialogue in the past where their personhood has been attacked and and that's so so for those people who might be hesitant this is one of the reasons why we have the ground rules and why we have trained facilitators this is not a free-for-all we're very sure that we, we're very um clear that we are about protecting people listening honestly and forthrightly but not to be in a position where you would be vulnerable and to be abused. So th that's not what this process is about either. So um, I'm hoping that people will say, gosh, you know, the way things have been in our country obviously has not been working. And the church has an opportunity to model a new way, to model how we can be with each other in community that reflects who God is calling us to be. And so I would invite you to participate in this process. Give it a try. And I think you'll find that this is a, a great method, a great tool to be able to be the body of Christ together. Those are excellent words to conclude on. I want to thank you again for your work, uh, for your presentation to our clergy at our Orders and Fellowship annual workshops, and for your ongoing commitment to helping make the local church as relevant as possible to the people who live in our communities. Thank you so much. Thank you, Todd, and blessings to you and to the conference, and I'll look forward to seeing you soon. In Layman's Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifer. If you liked what you heard in this episode, please go rate us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps other people find us. And please, if you feel so inclined, share us on Facebook or other social media. Our music comes via a licensed subscription with FirstCom Music. You can find archive podcasts on my website, toddseifert.com, or via a link on the conference website, greatplainsumc.org slash podcasts. Feel free to email me any questions or suggestions to tseifert at greatplainsumc.org and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.